We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. How is everyone this morning? I tell y'all what, for a pastor, this is like Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, this is the day that we come to praise our risen King. He has risen. Amen. I never said that before. He has risen. He has risen Amen. Well, I'm excited to have you guys here this morning. It is a joy to my heart to see a full house. I love holidays. But it's glad that you guys could come and worship with us this morning. And let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, it is the day in which you have given us as we honor you and celebrate you and what you've done. We give you praise, God, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For you have conquered death, Lord. Help us to understand that, Lord. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Father, you've conquered it, and we are grateful for that. And I pray for your people here today. Father, we know it's not by any accident that each person is sitting here in these seats this morning. We know in your sovereignty, in your all-knowingness, in your ability to fashion things in a way that draws people to yourself. God, I know there's people here And they're here for a purpose. And I pray today, God, that You would draw them to Yourself. God, I can preach and I can proclaim the Word. And I can encourage and I can admonish God. I can do all that You ask me to do, God, but I can't change the inside of people's hearts. And I pray this morning as I preach the Word... Though it may be informational, God, I, make, I pray that you make it transformational. You are the creator of new hearts. And I beg today for lost souls that you make them new creations in Christ. We thank you for your willingness to pay the price on Calvary for our souls. And today, God... In my inability, use me to speak the truth of your word to your people. Speak through me and empower me with the Holy Spirit that I might not speak in error but in truth. And may this day be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. And we ask this in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, it's Resurrection Sunday. And this morning we're talking about our risen King and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. It may be a different little message than what you were used to on an Easter Sunday. But just like last week, Rob mentioned that we're celebrating two holidays. Last week was April Fool's and Palm Sunday. One pagan and one biblical. And the same goes for today. Many will celebrate the Easter Bunny while others celebrate a risen king, one pagan and one biblical. Today we're going to look at three elements of the gospel. 
It was our main focus, obviously, being on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'm not going to presume that anyone in here sitting here today understands the terminologies we use, and so I want to look at each element in detail of some sort and give you a better understanding, I hope, of what just happened when Christ raised from the dead, when He was resurrected, brought back to life. Much of this message will be informational. But my hope is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will change your heart, and by the end of the message, it will become a transformational message in your life. That He will open your eyes to see His wonderful goodness and His unfailing grace and the great mercy that He's offered us. To see His all-sufficiency. And so without delay this morning, let's get straight into the text. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-8. We'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-8. Let us read. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as in first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that He appeared more than five hundred at one time. Most of whom remain until now, but have some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Here we have Paul writing to the church at Corinth. They seem to be brothers in the Lord, but something's happened. Something's going on in this text that we can't see that's confined in verses 1-8. to We must go outside of verses 1-8 to to really understand the context of what he's talking about here. Because he says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the Word which I preached to you. Now I like to... I've got all of these circle in my text. Brethren, here he's speaking to Christians. But what I find interesting, the Gospel which I preached. He's already preached it. He says, which you received, you've already received it. In which you stand, they've already stood, they're standing. In which you've already, you are saved. All of these things have already taken place. So why is he about to give them another message of the gospel? If they've heard it, if they of it, what's going on here? He is about to make known something that's already known. Well, if you shoot through our text this morning and look at the big picture of what's going on here, verse 12 seems to be the key point. And we'll look at that in, in, in a little later. 
But some here are not following the entire gospel message. They're only taking parts of the gospel. They take what they want to believe, and that's what they hold on to. But here Paul says, no, there's three elements, and we're going to look at all of them today. Look, most of you are sitting here today have heard the gospel message from someone. You've either heard it from me, or you've heard it from someone else. This is what Paul is saying. What I'm about to say is nothing new to you. And many of you here this morning, this message is nothing new to you. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the Resurrection Sunday. This message has been preached for years and years and years. As I was sick all week long, as I said, this is like Super, Super Bowl Sunday for a pastor. But I didn't practice for the Super Bowl. But as I sat there and I said, what, what am I going to preach on? Lauren said, you might want to start with the resurrection. And said, that's a good idea, I'll start with that. You see, this is nothing new to them. And the reality is, it's probably not going to be new to most of you today. He says, you are, for the most part, believers here. You've heard the gospel preached, you've received it, you stand on it, and you're saved by it. This is the power of the gospel. You received it, you stand on it, and you're saved by it. It's taken you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. It's revealed to you good and evil. It's delivered you from sin's power and condemnation. That's the gospel. But he places some kind of exception clause here a little later in this verse. He says, unless you believed in vain. Now, this is not talking about losing your salvation. I don't want you to think I would teach that. It's talking about having believed in vain. Um, having a worthless faith, so to speak. A faith that really is not a saving faith. It's talking about some kind of faith that was desired for some kind of personal necessity. Well, I'll pray this prayer so I can receive this, or I will believe in this, put my faith in this, so I can have something good. Kind of like if you believed for the purpose of having your best life now. I can... Pray this prayer to get my ticket to heaven. Some kind of life insurance, or more so, fire insurance. Now, I don't know your heart. And I don't know where God has you this morning, but I want to ask you, have you believed in vain? It's something each one of us has to look into our own souls and understand. What is it? Why is it that I believe in this message? Have you believed in vain today? Do you believe the whole gospel? Or only part? The fact is, in this passage, some lacked a true saving faith in Jesus Christ, which failed to work itself out in the end. He is priming His people. He's trying to draw them in to get them to evaluate their life and to see where they are before He 
gives them the gospel message. Listen, we need to do the same. Before we get into this gospel message, before we get into the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to draw ourselves, evaluate where we're at, why we believe, what we believe. We need to understand our beliefs, our worldviews, our understanding of the true gospel that saves. And if you're here this morning, the last time you stepped into church was Christmas or Easter or another holiday, you better evaluate your life. Well, Stuart, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, brother and sister, you don't. But in order to be an obedient Christian, you have to go to church. Church doesn't save a soul. Jesus Christ does. And when you have had a transforming change in your life, you can't put it away. Because you've been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But who lives in you? It's Christ who lives in you. And Christ desires for us to be with His brothers, His children, so that we can fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to evaluate our lives. Make sure this morning we don't believe in vain. You see, Jesus spoke many times about imposters. People that had useless, unsaving faith. You remember the parable of the sower. Yes, the tares often look like the wheat, but the reality is, is they're not. Some of the seed fell on the rocky soil. Some of the seed fell on the shallow soil. Some of the seed fell onto thorny soil. But it all went away. Only the good soil produced Christ-like fruit. You remember when Jesus spoke of the different kind of fish that were caught? Some were good and some were bad. The ones that were good were brought in. They were kept. But the ones that were bad, they were put away. And so on and so on and so on. We see Jesus comparing these things through Scripture. Listen, my heart goes out to every individual here this morning. My heart bleeds this message. My heart wants you to understand this gospel message more than anything in my life. But I can't change you on the inside. And if you're here for the first time this morning, praise be to God. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. Because I can promise you when you go out of these doors and you step out there, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And they don't like what's happening here. They don't like what I'm saying behind this pulpit. And there will be persecution to those that are in Christ. You will be called a Jesus freak. You will be called a weirdo. You will be called a fool. If you truly stand on God's Word... My heart goes out to each one of you this morning. But I want to make sure that you get it today, that you understand the gospel message in full, that you've evaluated your hearts. And I want to make sure we understand each element and that you wouldn't believe in vain. The last thing I want to do is confirm something God hasn't done in you today. Because what happened on the cross... And what happened in that tomb 
And what happened when Jesus Christ raised from the dead is no joke. It is the most important event in history of humanity. I'd be fooling myself to think I could give you any interchange because God is the one who does that. But I pray as we look at the gospel this morning, we would bring to light the message. He would illuminate the message to your eyes and to your heart. And as we are living in the last of last days, the Holy Spirit is working in people. And so listen, as you hear the message, and as you're convicted in your heart, I pray to God that you won't run from that conviction, but that you will turn to that conviction because the Spirit of God is doing something in our day. Don't suppress the call when He calls. And Paul is going to show us the way. Why? And show us what's so important about this message. And so Paul is going to begin right here uh, the rest of his message to the church at Corinth. Here in verse 3 he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. The message has been delivered Already, many got it, many didn't. And he's about to tell them again. Paul didn't fix it up. He didn't design it. He didn't craft this message. But he was simply a delivery boy. He brought about a teaching that was given him to deliver. And he had received it. Listen, you may not like what's about to be said, but I'm just a delivery boy. I didn't craft the message. I didn't design it. I'm simply going to deliver it today. Paul received it. Paul delivered it. And I'm the same. Where did he receive this message? Well, it's nothing new. We see this message <coughs> has been taught from the Old Testament. Years and years and years before Jesus Christ ever came into the picture. We see in Genesis 22, verse 8, and verse 14 speaks of this. We see in Psalm 22, it speaks the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Isaiah 53, we also see this, the suffering servant, years before it would ever take place. In Hosea 6.2, it speaks about a Christ that would be raised three days. And so listen to what he says here. He says, He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. All these in some shape, fashion, or form look forward to the coming resurrection of Christ. All these speak of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They speak of Christ many years before He ever steps onto the stage. We call that prophecy. And the prophet would speak something in that day and it would point to Jesus Christ. And so the message is not one He made, but one He is called to deliver. Which is the same message I am. You could say it this way, I received a message of greatest importance. 
and passed it on to you. What was of first importance? Well, there's three things that are of most importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, Good Friday uh, was Friday night. Many people missed out on a wonderful service as we took time out of our week to come and gather here to celebrate the greatest message the world has ever heard. We looked at the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And we discussed just what took place on Calvary. And if you remember there in the 23rd chapter of Luke, verses 33 to 46, we have the narrative of the death of our Savior Jesus Christ. His disciples there, fearful in an unbelief, and the mother of Jesus weeping at the foot of the cross as her heart pangs to see her child hanging there in utter suffering. He's pierced through with nails in each of His hands and in His feet. And the torment is so bad that He could barely breathe. And in every breath He took on that cross brought about pain and suffering in His body. But He was pierced through for our transgressions, our sins, our wrongdoings, our disobedience towards God. He was chastised for our well-being. Oh, He was mocked. But His words tell us what He says, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Here we see the heart of our Savior. In the midst of suffering, He's not focused upon Himself, but those in persecuting Him. The death of Christ was our perfect sacrifice. Only a sinless man could take our place. And there was only one God the Son. Just like the old, there was taught, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus became sin on your behalf. He took your place and my place there on Calvary so that we might have life and have that life abundantly. This is the death that Paul is speaking of here. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. This was a message they had received once, but now he continues to tell us what's of most importance. Secondly, he says in that he was buried. In Mark chapter 15, verse 42 to 47, gives us a narrative of this burial and how a man of, uh, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a man that was waiting on the kingdom of God, it says, went forth before Pilate. And he asked Pilate for the body of his Savior Jesus Christ. But it wasn't, listen, don't miss it, it wasn't until Pilate was confirmed by the centurion that Christ, the crucified Savior, was truly dead that He gave the body over to Joseph. And so, He did take then the body of His King Jesus. He wrapped Him in linen cloths and placed Him into a tomb that was carved out in the rocks. And the stone was rolled up against the tomb. And if you remember, in Matthew, 
His account tells us that, that Pilate remembered that Jesus said in three days He would rise. And so what does He do? He's a smart man. We better protect that tomb because if He gets stolen, they're going to go and say, oh, our King has risen. And so He sends a soldier to secure the tomb. And so they, they secured it to the point of even sealing the rock. And it's so important of the burial that he was truly in there. Pilate, in the middle of trying to protect himself, what does he do? <laughs> he gives incredible insurance that the king we worship was buried in that tomb and that he was dead. But I submit to you this morning that if the third element of the gospel fails to take place, we are to be pitied more above all man. The death, the burial, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection. Now Paul in the Corinthian church is addressing an issue. And again, it's not in our text this morning. But it's vital for us to understand what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians. What's so important? And why is he saying these things? And so let us look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. It's outside of our text. But he says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which He is, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Here there's people that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. He says in 13, But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He has raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are all, we are of all most people to be pitied. Do you see the problem? Listen, the reality is, in our day, we have skeptics and people trying to teach that Jesus Christ didn't really raise from the dead. The Islamic belief says, no, He, wasn't, he, he never really died. He was, he was raised alive. He, he, he never died. Listen, it's important we have a dead Jesus in that tomb. And it brings me comfort to my heart to know that Pilate confirmed with the centurion that he was truly dead before he gave the body up. And then he sent a soldier to protect the tomb. So I'm convinced in my heart that there's a dead Jesus in a tomb that's sealed shut. But 
But the problem here is there are some in the Corinthian church that have failed to believe in the resurrection of the dead. But he explains just how important, how powerful the resurrection is to our faith, to our King, to our eternity. Look, the power of the resurrection is unspeakable. Yes, many were called back in the life of Jesus. He raised people from the dead. But each one of those persons that was called back to life went back to the normal mundane things of life. They struggled with survival. They struggled with pain and suffering. And yes, each one experienced what? A physical death. But not our King... Death couldn't hold him in the grave. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it showed His power. He didn't go back to the normal mundane things of life. No, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, He ascended up to the right hand of the Father. No, He lives. Our King is alive. And just as He went up, He's coming back down. Don't think of your Jesus as still hanging on this cross. That's why there's not a picture of Jesus up there. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He's alive. His resurrection was proof of His deity. What is the deity? That's where Jesus claimed to be God Himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 17 and 18, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay? And then in 17 and 18, he begins to say, I was dead and now I'm alive. The Mormons would tell you, oh, that's God in verse 8. But when they come to 17 and 18, they don't know what to do. Because God can't die. Our Christ is alive. And He is truly Deity. In Romans 1, 4 it tells us, He was declared the Son of God with the power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Scripture of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. We find this account in Matthew 28, verse 1 to 7. There is still a guard there standing, watching the tomb, but something's happened. He's standing there in utter shock. As the two women get to the tomb, the stone is rolled away. And they can't believe what lays before their eyes as there's an angel that's compared to lightning. And I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever been real close to lightning? I come from the East Coast. And we have a lot of lightning there. And I've been so close to lightning that the hair on my arms will stand up. And when the light flashes, it's so bright, it's blinding. I'm so close, I haven't even heard the thunder yet. It's like 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, boom. Well, these compared to lightning. These people are dazzled. But the angel says what? He comforts these women. He gives them words like this, don't be afraid. And then he explains to them what? 
The Christ you came to look for has risen from the dead. He's risen. And I can hear it now. It flushes back to me. In John 2.19, what does He say? He says this, Destroy this temple in three days. What? I will raise it up. Oh, they thought He was talking and speaking of the temple mount. They thought He was a fool. But He was talking about His body. And in Matthew 16.21, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and the chief priests and scribes and to be killed and be raised up on the third day. Mark 10.34, this will be... These, there will be these who will mock you, mock him and spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Our king rose from the dead and conquered death that we might have life and have life abundantly. You see, the three elements of the gospel are equally important. Christ had to hit the cross. He had to be buried in the tomb. And He had to be raised from the dead. These are the three things that are of most importance, Paul says. We have been justified. Declared not guilty before God that we've all sinned against. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. And the penalty of our sins have been paid in full. And our King of kings and Lord of lords lives. No, Christ will not go back to the mundane things of life. He will not experience death again, for He conquered it. He is not like any normal man, for He is God in flesh. And all these things took place in this certain fashion, because God wanted to make sure that we understood the resurrection was real. You can't say that He died. You can't say that He didn't die because Pilate confirmed it. You can't say that He was stolen from the tomb. No, because Pilate protected it. And so Paul begins to take us on this journey of some of the people that Jesus appeared to. Why? It's pretty important. It says this in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. And that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after He appeared to more than five hundred at one time most of whom remain until now, but some had fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and to the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. What does that matter? Well, I tell you, this matters in a court of law today. Just recently in the news, and I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. There was a young man by the name of George Zimmery. Zimmerman. And he took the life of a young man. 
by the name Trayvon Martin. Now I'm not going to debate this, this is not my idea, but what I want to do is is to draw an illustration, though it's a tragic event, it's a perfect illustration of what the importance of these people seeing Jesus Christ after His resurrection. If there was 500 witnesses all together at one time, there at the event where George Zimmerman took the life of Trayvon Martin, there would be no doubt to the truth of the incident. There can be skeptics on both sides, but not if 500 people are there at once. Somebody would be going to jail or somebody would be set free. No question about it. Do you realize that Jesus appeared to over 500 people, real people, eyewitnesses. They were all there together at once. It wasn't 500 individuals with their own testimonies. No, it was every one of us seeing Jesus after He had been resurrected from the dead. My uh, uh, witness, my eyewitness is just as important as yours. Your witness, true's mine is true. Jesus is alive. Not only them, but Cephas and the twelve disciples, James and the apostles and Paul. All of these people saw with their own eyes a resurrected Christ Jesus. This is the most impacted event in the history of our world, folks. And I tell you that if it is the most important event in the history of our humanity, you better listen up this morning because it has an impact on you as well. For all those that may be sleeping, this is the time to wake up. Because the news of this resurrection brings about great and powerful and wonderful promises to humanity. But listen to me folks, in the same fashion that it brings about wonderful promises to humanity, it brings about the most condemning news to humanity. I got good news and I got bad news. The good news, Jesus is alive. The bad news is, Jesus is alive. It just depends on which side of the line you're on. What do you do this morning with a risen king? What do you do with him? It brings life to those that are in Christ Jesus and brings death to those who are not. It brought life to the disciples. You see, they really didn't believe until their king was resurrected from the dead. Once they saw their king face to face after he had raised from the dead, needless to say, they seen their Jesus walk on water. They seen their Jesus raise people from the dead. They seen him do this, and they'd seen him do that, and miracle and miracle and miracle after miracle. Yet they still didn't believe until they seen him resurrected. And once they saw Him face to face, 
And some really, when they only touched the holes in His hands and the hole in His side, did they believe they were willing to give up their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Then, and only then, they believed. But while He was being crucified, what were they doing? They were stove up in fear. In disbelief, it rocked their world. Do you remember when Jesus was in the upper room discourse in John chapter 14? And, he's, and they said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Show us the... F- really? Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? Do you know not that Father and I are, are one? It wasn't until He conquered death that it become a reality to them. And until we understand that our Savior Jesus Christ conquered that grave, how can we expect to have a true, genuine, life-changing experience in faith in Christ Jesus? Oh, we can claim to know the King. We can claim to, to be a Christian. But what does our life really look like? Are we talking the talk without walking the walk? How can this resurrection affect us today? And how does it affect us? Listen, we have a great assurance through the lives of these people the personal testimony of these people who made an eyewitness account gives astonishing confirmation our King is risen. There has never been another killed and brought back to life, to eternal life, that is. Many people die, their heart stops. Someone does CPR and they're brought back to life, but they will again eventually suffer a physical bodily death. Not our Christ. You can't kill Him. You can't take Him away. You can't push Him out of the culture. He is an awesome King. Jesus appeared... And He beat death and gave hope to His people. We don't have a blind faith this morning, folks. We have one that screams truth. What will you do with my King today? As I sat here and prepared this message, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you about the King I worship. I wanted to tell you who He was with every word in me. But you know what? I'm not a poetic guy. But as I was on the internet this weekend, I viewed a video. One that probably many of you have seen, many of you haven't. From a brother, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And he speaks depth into the King we worship. 
And every time I watch this video, it brings me to tears because He's speaking what I feel inside. And when, you, when someone speaks what you feel inside, you just want to scream. That's why when people preach, people say, Amen! I can't say it any better than this man does. And so why try? Let's watch as we hear from Dr. S.M. Lockwood. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
There is nothing more powerful than the gospel message in full. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Will you believe? Will you call on Him today? Will you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Will you step out in faith? To a king that came and died on a cross that was buried in the tomb and that raised up from the dead to prove whom he claimed to be. He's made it possible. And all you have to do this morning is to believe and accept his free gift of salvation. And I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you the opportunity to step forward. To pray to receive Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you for the first time have heard the true gospel. And you see the power of the resurrection. This message is not for all of you. Only to those God is calling within His heart. Don't you turn away from that call of God today. Is Jesus calling you to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ this morning? I can't think of a better day than on Resurrection Sunday to see a true conversion of a sinful man turned to God. Ten years ago, I walked down an aisle of a church. As I stood before a pastor and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you can do it this morning. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart today. Don't dull your ears. Don't ignore the knock. Don't worry about the people sitting around you. I'm not going to ask them to close their eyes. No, because Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is not about a, a prayer, but about a step of faith. And one way to do that is to pray to receive Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you claim your life, you speak with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, but yet you don't live it. Come this morning and get right with God. Because soon and very soon we will stand before our King. And we will give an account of the life we've lived. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus Christ, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come this morning. Can I get a couple elders to come forward as well? Come this morning.